0: Right, so, we have another episode today of Just a Couple Dudes or the Jacked Podcast. Uh, I'm your host today, Brandon Lawrence, and I'm joined today by one of my best friends in life, Elliot Tomato. Hi, everyone. Hey, so thanks for having me, Brandon. Oh, I'm excited, man. I've, this is probably the one I'm the most excited to do because <laughs> uh, I, love, I love talking with you and catching up, man. Um, right. So, a big piece of our platform is honoring good men and good women as role models for our community. So, we often times are looking up to these celebrities and athletes and politicians and we're actually left with a true, you know, we're left with a void in true role models. And Elliot, I want to honor you today as our uh, man of the week. You're a ride or die friend of mine and there's really, you're there for anything I've ever needed in life. Um, you've risen risen basically to these insane heights and truly followed your dreams and intuitions and uh, you formed Thank this you. kind of fantastic work and personal life. And it's funny is you started as this kind of like, for lack of a better term, just over-the-top theater nerd and stand-up comedian and you've just <laughs> launched your own technology-based PR firm in Manhattan of all places and you're just the strong leader in your community and I'm just happy to call you one of my best friends in life.
1: Same here. Well, I got to give credit where credit is deserved as well. I think without your guidance in my teen years, just as a friend and a peer, I wouldn't be here today you know, having really um, strong people, not just people that you can look up to as mentors and people who are outside of your network, but having people within your network that really push you, um, ask you to be your best, um, expect the best from you and, and are really like a shoulder. And, and in, in many ways, I think the most, the biggest thing that you did for me was lead by example. You were super involved in student government. You were super involved in extracurricular activities. You were always interested in in learning more and growing and pushing yourself. Um, and and that kind of stuff is contagious. And so I, I do need to um, throw it back at you and say I probably wouldn't be here today without your guidance.
0: I love that man. Yeah, I remember um, actually a phone call. I think um, I think I was in early med school and you called me and you're like Brandon, you know, I've been in Manhattan for a year now. Uh, I, I'm I'm liking this job, but these these clients are really kind of flocking to me, and I, I think I want to start on my own. And I'm like, do it, man! <laughs> Not that I influenced that, because you're going to do it yourself. But I remember that, and then you kind of jumped off, and here you are, man. You've done just fantastic things.
1: Thank you, thank you. It's been it's been eight years now since I started the agency. It'll be well, eight years in like late September, so almost eight years. And when I started it, I really, you know, just to give everyone else who doesn't have the context, I started it with, with no help from my parents. Uh, my parents had gone through a bankruptcy while I was in college um, and, you know, had built my career in San Francisco. So from, you know, 2008 when I graduated to 2012, I really focused on uh, building my career and, and that ended up, I kind of fell into technology. I started with auto show PR. I was doing PR for... Um, surf, skate, snow brands like Dragon Sunglasses and Skull Candy Headphones and it wasn't until my third job, which wasn't that long after I graduated because I I, I didn't fit in at a couple of the agencies and and I think it's important to note, was let go um, at a couple of the first jobs that I had in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, really kind of left me feeling like okay where is my place Um, and then I found my place in technology, always had been a, a, a nerd. Um, but didn't realize, uh, you know, how much I loved tech and, and how much that nerdiness parlayed into me being that nerdiness paired with that theater nerd side of me uh, parlayed into me helping technology companies tell their story. Um, and so I really found my my way about a year in um, after college, and worked at a com- couple different firms, and then um, moved to San Francisco, moved to New York in 2012 after working in New York from 2008 to 2012. Um, got a job that I was super excited about. I I probably called you then too and said, you know, I got this job. I was 27 at the time. They gave me a job that had a big title, the head of consumer technology at a 30 person PR firm where I was managing 17 people. And I definitely felt like I was a little bit over, like I'd taken on a little bit too much or that, that, you know, maybe, you know, that imposter syndrome, which is something that that we talk about in business a lot that, that was really peaked at that time am i really able to do this job that i got hired to do they you know moved me across the country holy shit um am, am i able gonna am i going to be able to live up to the expectations of this role um and and realized pretty quickly not only could i live up to them i could exceed them and and saw a lot of issues with that agency um and saw the way that they were treating tech companies was very similar to the way they were treating traditional corporations. And I knew from my time in San Francisco working with startups, that that wasn't the right approach. So, you know, took a leap and launched my own agency at 27. That was, you know, September 2012. Um, and, you know, fast forward to today, we're 20 people. We've got an office in Tribeca. We're working with some of the biggest um, tech companies in the world a bunch of late stage companies, but also we stayed true to our our core, which is working with early stage technology companies. So we have got about half late stage, half early stage um, companies that we work with. Um, I was listed as the top, one of the top 50 tech PR people for the last uh, seven years running on business insiders list. Um, And we really made a name for ourselves in consumer technology, specifically um, direct to consumer brands, uh, brands like Lemonade that you guys probably know, Um, you know, direct-to-consumer sneaker brands like Koyo that you might know, brands like ClassPass, Squarespace. Um, It's been a lot of fun, but I think one of my favorite parts of what I do is inspiring young people to break through glass ceilings that they set for themselves. Um, It was something that, you know, I was really lucky that I had a great community, friends, mentors that helped me kind of realize that I can do more than I think that I'm capable of and that age isn't an indicator of ability. Um, So that's one of my favorite things to talk about. And I think it's one of the favorite parts of my job is, is to really help young people realize that for themselves. Um, two
0: questions. Um, first, just to piggyback on what you said, A, um, when you were first starting your own firm, did you, did you find that um, as a 27, 28, 29 year old, you were taken as seriously as maybe some of these other firms that were established head up by these kind of crusty 40, 50 year old men, not that 40 is crusty because I'm almost there, but um, <laughs> B, I think everyone has a pretty firm grasp on what um, like marketing and advertising is, but maybe less so on PR. Uh, I'm dating yeah. myself here, but I loved Entourage, so I know what uh, a PR person
1: does. But if you can just maybe explain. And for, the, and for all the women watching, their touch point is Samantha Jones from Sex and the City. Um, uh, that, yes. that's, that's what most um, young yes. people who end up in PR, that's like their, their media touch point for, for PR. But I forgot Entourage had a great character too. Yeah. Um, first question, did people take me seriously? Um, there was definitely people who didn't. But in technology, there isn't as much ageism as there is in perhaps law or in medicine. Um in technology, youth is a badge of honor. Um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook out of his dorm room, not saying that he's a great person or a role model, um, <laughs> not not getting into that dicey territory. But um, he did start it when he was nineteen. So Silicon Valley, Um, and then Silicon Alley, which is what we were calling New York in 2012, and and it's burgeoning tech scene, we put value in youth, and we still do. Um, So I don't think it was as hard for me because of the industry that I was working in, which is technology PR. Um, But I definitely lost accounts because of how young the agency was, not just how young I was, but how little um, experience that we had to point to as an agency ourselves. I, I had, you know, nine years of experience or eight years of experience at that point working in tech PR, but I, and maybe, maybe it was actually seven, but I said eight. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and, and, and here's another thing. I always dressed at that age a little bit older than I was. I think I was very self-aware of the fact that yeah. I could look like the youngest person in the room. So I wore, you know, I had my collection of Zara suits and, and you remember all my skinny ties and all my tie clips. That's, that's the way that I would dress just to go to work every day to kind of combat that. Um, what about what is the
0: he- uh, the assistant that used
1: to tow around everywhere? Oh yeah, That's I my, mean one of my uh, favorite stories. Call me out, um, <laughs> call me out, Brandon. Um, I think one of my um, for my first year. It was a brilliant I, move. I, I'm not calling I out. Ass- no, no, I, I like it. I, and uh, please, uh, I I haven't told the story to all my employees, um, but oh. I think no, no, no. I I'm, I'm totally down to share it. I had an, I had an ass- assistant, or sorry, an intern, but I only had her two days a week. So I would always schedule those meetings that I had with um, potential clients on the day that I had my intern there. And I always tell companies this too. Always look a little bit bigger than you are. Don't be afraid um, to, to make yourself look bigger than you are. That's one of the reasons why I named Asterisk, Asterisk, uh, which is the name of my PR firm, and not Elliot Tomano PR or Elliot PR, which was a, a URL that I had at the time and I think I'm still squatting on. Um, I think it's important to to always make yourself look a little bit bigger and be aware of the assumptions people make about you based on the way that you communicate, the way that you dress, the way that you hold yourself. Um, And and not saying that it's right, the ageism that exists within any industry, but being aware that that that, that ageism might potentially be there um, can help prepare you to preemptively combat that through dress, demeanor, and uh, word choice. Um, So that was a really important lesson for me to learn and one that I love to pass on to my employees. Back to your question about what is PR. There you go. I think the easiest thing, uh, easiest way to to talk about PR is we help people get press coverage about their businesses. So when you're reading USA Today, GQ, TechCrunch, Fast Company, um, nine times out of 10, there's a PR person behind the scene who's reached out to that journalist to say, hey, based on what you write about, I think you would be interested in my client. Here are the reasons why, here are some angles, um, in which to cover my clients. Um, and and this this happens for celebrities. They're called publicists instead of PR people. Um, and so in my industry, the word publicist has a little bit of a negative connotation um, because we are PR professionals. We work with companies, not individuals, um, to help them get the, the press coverage that's going to help them hit their, their business goals. So for some of our clients, it's help us get consumer coverage so that we can get new consumers for lemonade, for example, help us announce our pet insurance and help us get new um, customers that are interested in our pet insurance. But some of them, it, it is, help us tell the story of our AI technology brand as a game changer and innovator within the tech and the business press to, to either help them raise more money, to help them attract talent, or to help position them against their competitors as one of the most innovative in the industry. So some of that work that we do on the awareness and positioning side is actually more about, um, is, is less about getting them new customers and more about putting a stake in the mud around them as a leader within their industry.
0: How many clients do you have at this point?
1: 28, um, team of 20, 28 clients. Um, and so that fluctuates between 28 and 30, um, 32, depending on how big the clients are. A couple of them I, I count as two or three just because they have so much going on and, mm-hmm. and are what we call, call in the tech world unicorns, uh, companies that are worth over a billion dollars. And that's like the, the lemonade one? Lemonade is publicly traded now and and um, is 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 post unicorn status, um, but some other clients that are unicorns would be like light tricks, the mm-hmm. makers of a bunch of um, photo editing apps, including, uh, you know, quick Art and Pixaloop, but also facetune, which a lot of people know um, and they're actually based out of Israel. Um, and we've been working with them for over a year and and are continuing to expand our scope with with clients like them and others.
0: So you're getting a little bit better about identifying now as the year goes on, years go on, uh, which which of these are going to turn into these unicorns? Or do you usually get on like kind of after the fact?
1: I, you know, I wish I could say that I had um, the insight to know which companies are going to become huge. Um, I think I've gotten better for sure. Um, I've been interested in venture capital um, since 2013. I, I became an investor in the female founders fund. Um, one of the things I'm most passionate about it is supporting underrepresented founders, female founders, person of color founders, LGBTQ plus founders. And as someone who is, um, you know, a hobby venture capitalist or a hobby limited partner in a VC fund, um, I've learned a lot about you know how to predict, how to predict, and and how hard it is to predict the success success of a company. Um, but most VCs would say, and I would agree, the best indicator is the founding team. Who's behind it? Not necessarily the idea, but who is the, it's about the execution and and the execution comes down to, you know, the team members that are actually going to be doing that work, the CEO, the founder. Um, That's how most venture capitalists make their bets. And, and definitely the way that I select our clients as well. We have something called the, the three P's product. Do we believe in it? Do we think that this is a product that the world needs potential? Do we see high growth for this company and the potential for us to grow with them and people, Um, Do we do we are we liking the communication style that we're having with people do we vibe with with the people who are behind this company and the founding team. Um, So those are kind of like the three. It's the rubric that we use when identifying potential good fits for us.
0: And that's interesting because it's all kind of like a feeling from this experience now that you've you've gained over the last decade or so.
1: It's not like
0: you can quantify.
1: You know, you, you get gut feelings about people too. And, and I think, you know, when you're having a conversation with someone for say it's three phone calls that we have each 30 minutes to discuss if if a partnership is the right move for both of us, you get a sense of what it's going to be like working with that person what level of respect they have their communication style. Right. Um, and for, for my employees, it's really important that I, 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 I do that work to make sure that we're bringing on clients and companies that are going to treat them with respect and going to be, uh, a, a, a fun company and, a, and fun people to partner with um, because PR is in many ways, a, a thankless job. Journalists don't thank us for the angles and the ideas that we give them. And uh, clients oftentimes don't thank us for the great articles that we get for them because they rightly so believe, you know, this article is written because our company is so cool. Not necessarily because of your work and your relationship. So it's really important in PR to pat yourself on the back and work with people who, who give you that kind of uh, respect. That's great.
0: Um, so you mentioned the, um, liking the tobacco uh, people of color LGBTQ or uh, stumble on that one Q uh, community. Um so I kind of want to transition now to the other topic I want to talk about. Um so I want to do a little bit of story time here. Uh so when we were about 16 years old, uh we we're both at Pinnacle High School in Phoenix and we uh I-, I would say at the time we were probably like more friends through friends, if that makes sense. Like our circles kind of intersected but maybe we weren't um Super good friends yet, but then we went to this this camp called Anytown, which was something that provoked, mm-hmm. promoted cultural diversity and acceptance. And I think was pretty much ahead of its time. This, this was probably in what two thousand one or two. Uh, wow, well, we're mm-hmm. old. Um, Anyways, so, um, so so we we bonded really well there, and uh, I think I was a counselor. Were you, were you a counselor? Yeah, I can't remember. You were a counselor. Yeah, yeah. So I was a, a counselor for our high school's Anytown, and Elliot, you know, attended and. We really bonded then and after that we kind of hung out nonstop. we went to mexico we're you know best friends and um he pretty much moved into our house uh for like three days when he got in a fight with his dad which is one of the funniest (laughs) stories i've ever heard of so uh the interesting thing though to me is we meet at this camp um where he clearly knows um kind of my values and then i think it was 2002 you you came out as a gay male, and mm-hmm. I, think I, of our friends, was the last one to find out because <laughs> you were <laughs> like, scared to tell me because we were so close, like that yeah. it didn't change anything between us, um, and uh, I always thought that was interesting and, and kind of a, a sign of the times where, where even if you knew uh, this person had this platform of what they believed in, you were still afraid to tell them because you didn't want to change a relationship, and I, I think that's something that's, uh, you know, changed over the years, hopefully, but... Um, I yeah. think it's fun because we I fully embrace it. All of our friends did. We went to Hamburger Mary's, which is this kind of crazy gay bar with cross-dressing and then all this like fun stuff. And we actually went on double dates with a, uh, a girl and her gay best friend, and uh, you know, we had a lot of fun with it. So what I wanted to talk about was is being a gay ally. And I think that yep. is incredibly uh, apt. Uh, topic And uh, the term that yeah. I only recently started hearing and totally agree and identify with, so uh, I want well, to uh, go ahead. I want to hear what you I, feel as it,
1: you know, makes up a gay ally. Totally. Well, you know, a gay ally, I'll start with this and, and, uh, you know, we are in the midst of call out culture. Um, yeah. We call them um, a gay ally is one that's willing to to be taught too. And so when it, something you just said is is uh, there was crossdressers and we call them drag queens. Drag queens, um, thank you. <laughs> um, it's funny because you don't know
0: what term is like um, non PC, and then it's a great to great to hear.
1: You know, it is it's really hard not just for as as a gay ally, but as an ally to people of color during this time. This is something that I'm struggling with, and and really using the right terminology and using the terminology that the community deems as as the the appropriate words. Um, you know, person of color versus BIPOC right now is something in the PR world that we're talking about. Do we use uh, black indigenous person of color all the times? Do we just say person of color? Um, these are important things to think about and care about. And I think that's a great place to start when it comes to allyship in general, is are you willing to be, you know, are you willing to be taught? Um, are you teachable? Um, I think is, is a really great place, place to start from. Um, so let's, let's go back though. Let's go back then. Um, 2002. Yes. We are in Arizona, which is, you know, at that point, um, 40% liberal, maybe 60% Republican. Um, it was, it was maybe a little bit less skewed. liberal than it is. What would you say? So maybe even more skewed Republican. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was a little bit less liberal than it is today. Um, and we were in a, a, you know, part of Phoenix that was, um, 45 minutes away from downtown. Um, you know, in, a, in kind of a suburban area, and at a school where I didn't see any other gay people. So just kind of like s- setting the foundation and, and framework for everyone here, there was, there was no other gay people that I saw. There wasn't really many examples of gay people on TV, especially gay people like me, um, that weren't necessarily as feminine acting, that weren't interested in, you know, like Madonna and pop singers. Um, I didn't really find any role models that I identified with in media, and, and especially within the community that I was a part of. Um, so coming out at that time was really, uh, was really difficult. And I think it was, you know, difficult to tell you versus maybe some of our other friends who were more feminine, let's just call it, you know, a little bit more, you know, here's Brandon, he's, he's kind of a masculine guy, he's already starting to work out, he, he he'll kind of always look like this people. Um, you know, He's already kind of buff, and he's, He's one of my best friends and he's a little bit more on the masculine side. And even though we had a really close relationship, I think, you know, we make assumptions about people based on their um, way that they move through the world. So I think part of what was going on in my mind at that point was, you know, even though Brandon has expressed these values, um, I haven't seen him have to express them in an environment where he's standing up for a gay person. I know that he says you know, intellectually, this is what I believe. And I believe that gay people should have the same rights. But when it comes down to like the day-to-day interactions with gay people, I had never seen you have any interactions really with gay people. And so I think, you know, that's, and and you were one of my more masculine friends. So, you know, I think if I'm gonna psychoanalyze myself, you know, 10 years <laughs> later or 20 years later, how Almost old are we? 20, man. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I would say that that probably had a little bit to do with it. It wasn't about me. It, 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 it wasn't so much of I mean, not believing that you, you know, you know, thought the things that you thought and it was just a little bit more of, it was probably fear a little bit. Um, but back to the question, what is what is a good ally? Um, it is a hard question and I definitely am not a gay rights or, or civil rights scholar. And so I may mess this up a little bit and I just wanna call myself out beforehand. Um, but I would say that a, a, a good ally is someone who is interested in understanding the struggle of minority groups. Um, you know, I think first it's, it's like this understanding of your privilege. Um, I as a cis white man, I'm speaking as you, I as a cis white man have more opportunities um, than those who come from this minority group. Um, so understanding that privilege I think is a part of it. I'm just gonna kind of ramble and, and try to identify some like key tenets of allyship. I think mm-hmm. awareness of, of, um, of your privilege is, is super important. Um, understanding of that group's struggles Um, uh, And and understanding of, uh, and and having empathy towards that group and and the struggles that they they encounter. Um, And then not only just believing intellectually or rationally that these people should have rights, but confronting the inequities on a daily basis. Whether that is through work in public policy and signing petitions, whether that is by being a vocal ally and and um, calling out inequities that happen um, uh, in in politics. For example, right now, you know, a good ally um, who's active on social media and, and is an activist already is probably talking about the way that Trump has treated trans people during his um, during his presidency and is aware of that. Um, a good ally also. Um, continues to educate themselves and continues to be teachable. Um, so it's not just relying on your, you know, if you're, if you're a gay ally, if you're, an, if you're a straight ally to the gay community, it's not just relying on your gay friends to teach you, but it's, uh, it's about teaching yourself and pushing yourself to kind of um, learn, learn these things, use the appropriate terminology um, on a daily basis and not wait for someone to correct you. But when someone does correct you, be correctable. Mm-hmm. Say, you know, I had never seen it that way. I didn't, um, I didn't know that that was, um, you know, my bad i didn't know that that was the, the 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 wrong word to use i'm um you know i really want to make sure that i'm using the right words and I, w- I welcome you to continue to correct me um but it's not just about don't put the whole onus on that group of people it really needs to be something that you personally take on um so i think a good ally not only understands under uh, understands the the plight of that group um understands their own privilege in relationship to that group but also um is teaching themselves um and is teachable i think those would be like the three main tenets of allyship that i would come up with right now while on the spot and not being an academic
0: and i and i think for for any listeners that are interested in kind of starting this um this journey i guess to be an ally for hopefully for humanity not just necessarily one group Mm -hmm. or another i think the first thing you do as as part of the majority white male white female straight is just Mm -hmm shutting the fuck up and listening. Yes. You don't need to have an opinion on everything. You don't need to inject your own um, kind of agenda and things. Like, that's that's the problem I've had with a lot of people with, you know, obviously we were, we're having a lot of um, the, the whole Black Lives Matter movement, which I'm um, a yeah. supporter of, but the people injecting the Know All Lives Matter, the, the Blue Lives Matter, yes, they do, but this is like a, uh, this, is, this is a rebuttal to black lives matter yeah. is isn't used as a no we should all be you know in some copacetic uh utopia where all lives matter it's you're literally using this terminology as a rebuttal to uh the strife that black people are going through right now so this this is where 100%. i'm like just, just sit down and shut the fuck up and listen that's it that's
1: yeah. All you gotta do. yeah yeah i mean the 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 amount of like subtle racism that i've mm-hmm. seen on my feeds and in, in conversations that I, I really believe that this has been brought out by this current administration. We have a leader right now that is saying, it is okay to be racist. It is okay to uh, believe that America was better when it was more segregated. We, we've empowered a vocal minority of people to speak their minds and it's, it's really disheartening. I am, I, I'm very proud to be an American, but I spent a lot of time in Europe, um, you know, went to university there, and the more and more I see this country go this direction and, and be so divided, the less and less proud I am um, to, to be an American, if I'm gonna be really frank. And I think um, what it is is a lot of
0: promotion of fear, mm-hmm. maybe less, less um, like outward racism, I know there has been outward, but it's, it's promoting the fear, like I just listened to this, this uh, do you know who Doc Rivers is, he's the, he's the NBA coach? No. I'll send you this link afterwards of the speech that he just gave. You know, I don't know
1: anything about sports. Right I know, now. but
0: it was a very, very powerful, like two minute speech he gave about how, um, you know, one of these political parties is promoting a lot more fear and uh, that's mm-hmm. what's causing, uh, you know, a lot of the strife right now. So I'll send you it. Was, it was really powerful. And I, that's what it is. It's a, like the platform's always been about fear and, and xenophobia, I feel like. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate.
1: It really is. And, um, I feel like you know, you're a huge proponent of education, and you know, Arizona being um, last time I checked forty eight out of fifty when it comes to school systems, not last. <laughs> um, but, you know, we went to public school in Arizona. I think it's really important to call out. like I, I did have a decent, if not, you know, pretty good education at, you know, at, in the Paradise Valley School District. Um, was my school super diverse? Did I, you know, have some of the opportunities that maybe kids in um, other states had? Maybe not, but 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 we did have an AP program. I did I, I did I was a part of it for a while until I got a little <laughs> lazy and was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I did too, man.
0: Uh, you know, I took all AP classes and only ever took one AP test. It's wild.
1: It's an wild, idiot, but... right?
0: What a dumb what a dumb student. Like, why did my mom <laughs> let me do that?
1: Like, those know, are all yeah, college
0: I classes I could have had off.
1: I know. Well, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You did, you did, you did just fine. So, uh, uh, but what was I going to say? Um, sorry. You know, you no. Know, growing up, yeah. Growing up in Arizona, um, you know, definitely education. It's all about education. If we are giving, if we are giving people equal opportunities to be, to be educated, and 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 I'm speaking to like rural America. I'm looking at Arkansas and Mississippi. Like, if we can really educate people and give you know put more money towards education, I think we're gonna deal with a little bit less systemic racism. I think we're gonna deal with less of, of this fear-based um leadership. I, I think the more educated you are, the less impacted you are by non-rational fear-based leadership. Um so I think we we really I think education, it all comes back to education for me. Um, but again, I'm a PR person in technology, not a not a um, human rights um uh, I, you know I'm not an academic in human rights Right. Nor am I uh, um, super. Um, nor do I follow politics super closely because I'm just so focused day to day on on technology. Um, but I I am I am disheartened and frustrated um, by the state of our country because I, I really do love it. Um, and I think you know when we talk about allyship today, I think it's 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 so much you know so much more important. Um, and this might be a hot take, but gays have gotten a lot of rights recently and i'm so happy that we have seen you know gay rights become a part of a national conversation and and not just gay rights but lgbtq plus rights right i think the the area that we have the most growth to do in right now is not people who look like me that are homosexual but people who are trans people who are the the most marginalized community within the lgbtq plus community are black trans people those are the things that we that's where we i as a gay person need to be an ally and that's where you, if you want to take your allyship to the next level, is to really understand the plight of, of gay trans people in America. They're getting killed today. There, there, there were murders last week. These are things that are not making national news. Um, and and this, this is a you know disenfranchised community, even within the LGBTQ plus community, that isn't getting um, the kind of attention around the the inequities that they're facing on a daily basis. The 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 abuse that they're facing on a daily basis, and the fact that they are getting murdered in in high numbers, um, that's where if I was you know talking about allyship within the gay community, this is the group that needs us the most: this black trans individuals. Yeah. Um,
0: the thing I don't understand—not about trans, but about the response to it—is every couple decades there's a new group, right? So it was maybe the, the, the women and the African Americans and homosexuals, and now it's this is trans, right? This is this is their time that we're we're boosting them up and Mm -hmm. and every fucking time there's someone on the wrong side of history.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Don't be on the wrong side of history. This is something that's going to be accepted. Don't be the people saying we can't do trans because what's next, you know, age fluid people where they're cool with pedophilia. Mm -hmm. Like that's the thing that I'm seeing all over social media and that drives me nuts. That's not a thing. Yeah. Pedophilia is never going to be an accepted thing. Like I I don't Mm -hmm. understand how those two things go together.
1: People get scared, you know, like th- there are constructs. When constructs are broken down, people are, and people are afraid of change. Like, um, I don't I don't really get it. And I can't, excuse me, I can't even get in the head of people who say such ridiculous things. Um, but I, I think, you know, back to, to allyship in general, like if you're gonna be an ally, don't just be an ally for the group that's easiest to be an ally for. Every girl, um, you know, wants a, a GBF, a gay best friend. Like that's easy allyship, that's not, that's not even worth talking about. You know, being being a straight man in in 2002 and being an ally, that was a different time. That was a different story. You were way ahead of your time and and you probably put yourself at risk um in some ways by being an ally. And like that kind of allyship where you're actually putting your own your own neck on the line, whether it's in in terms of reputation within your school, whether it's in terms of actual physical violence against to you like those are times when that kind of allyship that's like that's where it really 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 makes a difference like, you being happened. an ally remember yeah
0: and that guy attacked you yeah.
1: yeah and and you being an ally to gay men today not as groundbreaking <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah, like you guys made it man despite you
0: know and, despite maybe the track tra- back steps the last couple of years i mean the the, the night the difference very different I mean, now in 2002 are just night and day 100%. What I I want you to touch on that, like how things have just kind of gradually changed. You mentioned to me the um, when you were first starting in this the tech industry, you were only kind of yeah. partially out, and yeah. I, that's that's I, uh that's like heartbreaking because it's not necessarily what I de- what you identify yourself as. Is I'm gay male. It's
1: just a, a, yeah. a you know, largest part of your life that you just have to keep, for lack of a better term, closeted. And here's the here's the thing that I need to call myself out for. I didn't need to stay closeted.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I did for career growth, and that is a little bit of self. Mm, how do I say that? What I did wasn't good for the community, probably. And what I did was was really about what was right for me. You know, my oh yeah, but that's a societal
0: problem that you felt that way.
1: A hundred percent. That's not I a selfish thing.
0: That's something that you were you were taught through different experiences that you had to.
1: I, I agree. I, I think I could have, I think I could have pushed it more at that age if if there wasn't such a risk. You know, like my risk was I was like, I'm starting my own business. I can't take on the risk of being an openly gay man right now because I need this to succeed. And now I'm at a different place where, you know, we we found success. If a client doesn't like me because I'm gay. It doesn't mean as much because we're we're already at this level and have already built this kind of reputation. And I think that there are there are probably young gay men out there today who, even though we are in 2020, don't come out at work because of the potential for them to not get as far. It's not about being fired. For for, for, for some people it is. And there are still many states around the country that will allow you to fire someone who who is gay. Um, and that's legal. So that's a big fucking problem. Excuse my French. Um, but it, it's also about how will this impact my career growth even if it's going to have a minor impact on my career growth at that point where my parents couldn't help me i quit my job like i didn't have the opportunity to take that risk um, and and have maybe you know slower growth or have certain clients not come to me so I, i did choose at that time to obfuscate and it was it was harder during that time to be open in tech um 2012 when i started my business was much different than you know what is that eight years later um you know, definitely not great at math, but I think that's eight years. Um, eight <laughs> no. years later, the the, the world is uh, is is a different place, and we do have more role models in technology that have come out. Um, we do have more women in tech. We do have trans founders now. Um, the world is a different place, but there are still many people who might feel like them being out in certain industries could hinder their growth, and I understand um, their reticence to come out. Um, do I think it's good for the community? Not necessarily necessarily um, but I, I I think you know it is really a personal personal thing and everybody has their own um, you know their own backgrounds their own families to feed their own struggles so um, I understand you know when people might not feel comfortable even though the world is more open to this um, you don't know what their bosses are like you don't necessarily know what their clients are like etc Um but I, I'm really grateful that I can be out and proud in 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 every single meeting now. And when I talk about my fiance, I always make sure to say he, you know. And and uh, I think part of that is a litmus test for me now too of companies that I want to work with. Um, I will make sure to mention my fiance and make sure that they know that I'm gay. Um, and and kind of you know, especially on video calls, I can kind of gauge a response. I can I can see how that impacted them. I can see how that changed the way that they talk to me. And and if if, if that's the case. Probably not a good client for me. Um, so That kind of litmus test is important.
0: Um, have, I want to talk about Blake in a sec, but have you uh, yeah. have you had a negative impact, at least client wise, once you finally did come out fully, or were you already at the point where it just didn't matter at that point because you're established and you knew how to choose your clients wisely?
1: I think I think you know we were already established, and I, I don't think it had an impact. Um, there was this one company that was uh, funded by the Koch brothers, K-O-C-H brothers um, that I worked with back in the day. That I, And I think that if they knew, you know, I, it was still only like four or five years ago. I think if they knew, they, they probably would not have been super uh, thrilled about it. And as I kind of built up my persona on social media and been a little bit more open and um, about my life, um, I think that it's, it's harder and harder to even if i wanted to hide that part of me because i'm just living out loud and and you know have pictures of me kissing my fiance on my instagram you know yeah, like okay. th- these are yeah these are harder things um, but you know like i guess what's stuck in my mind right now is as we talk about allyship is like the most important thing that we can do right now is is be an ally to those groups that are really facing um, I- I- extreme discrimination um, and violence, and you know, we, we just did have another you know murder of a young black man, um, Jacob, in Wisconsin. What was it last week? Uh, you know, shot seven times in the back while his kids were in the car. Like these are things that we need to be talking about as 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 allies to people of color um, right now, because this kind of violence is violence that I never experienced as a gay man. I know some people have. Um, but I don't fear for my life when I'm running down the street or, you know, going on a jog. And I have, I have some close friends who, you know, won't jog at certain times of the day who, 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 you know, one of my friends you know, one of my friends who's black told me, he's like, I have to think about when I'm going to jog, where I'm going to jog. And and, and this is like a matter of life or death for me. And so I think, you know, when we talk about allyship right now, the groups that really need it the most, um, you know, it's, it's kind of self-evident. And I think it's, it's our, it's our job. Um, as people with privilege and that don't have to deal with this kind of violence and discrimination on a daily basis, to to speak up, um, even if it may piss off some of your Facebook friends, even if it might be um, uncomfortable for you because you don't know exactly how to say it, be teachable and be be vulnerable and say, you know, I don't know exactly how to express my frustration. I don't know exactly how to what to do to help people of color during this time, um, but I want to help. And just being open, teachable. And and know that you don't know all the answers. Um, that's that's the right place to start.
0: And I think the the being comfortable or being uncomfortable, sorry, is yeah uh, a really important piece because uh, the whole trans. I don't want to call it a movement because it's always been there. Just we didn't know yeah. about it. At first, I was like, "What? Like, this is a thing? You know? Like, I didn't really understand it." We had a we have a cousin through marriage that um, is trans um and so mm-hmm. like at first i was like oh this is just a phase you know and then like you actually kind of read into it how this has been a thing for decades that's just been ignored yeah and, and uh some people identify as a different gender from you know four or five years old and and it's like
1: um could you imagine it's them, it's them. feeling it's like, like you were I, I born imagine. in the wrong body right I mean, so it's just that's, it's that's, just that's what always kind of like yourself you know that, that would be so crazy like i definitely know what it felt like to be you know to pretend like I was the wrong sexual orientation, but could you imagine like really feeling like you were in the wrong body? Right. Um, or or you know, gender non-binary, gender fluid people who believe, you know, that they that they aren't one or the other. Um, Native Americans have had two spirits um for 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 thousands of years. And and this identification of not a man, not a woman, but of two spirit. Um, mm-hmm. this is something that that Native Americans have identified um we can look around so many other cultures and and see other examples of people who have not put people into buckets of male versus female um the the burdock community of native americans there was a a group of of uh, you know in the burdock community women could dress as men and be accepted within society as men and were always treated as a man never as a woman who became a man without the label trans but as a man um and i think that that's um that's something that we're we're coming to in, in our society too. Trans women are women. Is, is that part of trans their men Pima are men? Culture? It was what was that? That part of their like ancient culture. I I remember taking a sociology class or social anthropology class in um, at U of A. Actually, sorry, at, at Pima Community. College. <laughs> I was going to correct you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I learned about the Burdocks and I learned about um, Two Spirit and I learned about the Hydras of India and I think these are all As really. A- well sorry so that's fascinating it really is and i think there's so many examples that we can look to in in history to say like this is this is um we can do better and that these these uh you know gender buckets or or sexuality buckets that we have have built are, are really social constructs and um you know thinking about having kids soon i know i know you've got you know two little ones at home and like you know, what if your child felt like they were in the wrong body or, or, or didn't identify? Like, we have to prepare ourselves, yeah. and I need to prepare myself, um, not just to help, un, you know, communities that, that, are, that are underrepresented and discriminated against, but also because I want to be a really great parent and raise the next generation of people who understand from from a young age that these kind of constructs are just that. Constructs that society has I, has, has deemed right or wrong. And 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 that you know those kind of societal norms and mores are not um, things that we bring into our, our our household.
0: And it's funny that you say that um, you know I have the two daughters because I when I watch them I you know now we kind of look for these kind of cues and stuff of um, you know is she doing more kind of female stuff, male stuff, that sort of stuff, and, mm-hmm. and it's terrifying to me. And not in a sense of of having maybe a transgender child. That's not what terrifies me. It's more that her life will be significantly more difficult. And that's just because the society-
1: That's such a a parent thing to say. And I, you know, that was what my mom said too, and that's what my dad said. I am here to say that I don't think that I would be as far along in my career if it wasn't for the chip, if it wasn't for the hardship that I had to deal with. Um, I know you've read a lot of Malcolm Gladwell's work. Um, I I recommend to anyone reading this or watching this right now um, or listening to it, to pick up some of Malcolm Gladwell's books, especially David versus Goliath or The Tipping Point. Um, because, oops, Brandon, sorry, is my internet messing up a little bit? Can you, you hear froze, me okay?
0: Your video froze for about 10 seconds, but audio kept going.
1: Okay, cool. So, um, Tipping Point or David versus Goliath. And in cool. David versus Goliath, Malcolm Gladwell really breaks down how having this kind of chip on your shoulder, how, how coming through hardship can really make someone um, refine someone's character and bring out the best in them so in many ways i don't i I believe i would be more complacent i believe i would still be um i wouldn't have ever traveled to switzerland to go to college and get that kind of european education and learn italian um and without switzerland i would not have moved to san francisco without san francisco i would not have moved to new york and without moving to new york i wouldn't started my company and without starting my company i wouldn't be you know calling you from our cottage in the Hamptons today.
0: (laughs) It's so funny that you just mentioned all that, because these are things I I wanted to talk about, but time constraints are not going to be able to. So it's funny that you just hit on this. This (laughs) kind of just, all of a sudden, I get this call from Elliot. Hey, Brandon, I'm moving to Switzerland in like three weeks. I'm like, what? So I I got to go out there and visit you, and that was awesome, but we don't really have a whole lot of time to talk about it. That was a lot of fun. Gotta go. But um, I and my wife, we have not been anywhere since this uh, pandemic started, right, in early March, the last place we went in in January was to Disneyland and we really have hardly left our house. So we are like over the moon excited that in two and a half, three weeks, we're going to be heading out to Rhode Island to go to your and Blake's wedding. So I want to hear just a little bit about you and Blake and your kind of bond and your love and maybe a little bit of these wedding plans that I I don't know about yet.
1: I got you. Well, you're not going to get any secrets, actually. Ah, Um, Almost. I met Blake at a straight bar in Austin, Texas, while we were both there for work. He was uh, he was producing um, a video series um, at South by Southwest, and I was there supporting my technology clients at South by Southwest. I always host a bunch of parties and stuff like that. We met at a straight bar. He turned around in a bar stool and asked me what the bartender's name was, because he had been talking to her. So he's like, hey, can you figure out what her name is? He thought I was with um, my former vice president who has her own company, Chi. He thought I was dating her, and so thought, you know, he was um, just, just asking a random guy who was standing at the bar with his girlfriend. And I want to pause because uh, right
0: to... it's really yeah. funny that um, so when we were just becoming best friends, we were in Mexico and, and my mom says, don't you know Elliot's gay? I'm like, no way. That guy's not gay. Like it's the same thing. Like you don't, yeah, you're, you're so far from that stereotypical um, gay man in mm-hmm. the early 2000s that even your now almost husband didn't identify you as a gay man. I think that's that's hilarious.
1: Well, we're, we're, we we don't have enough time to get into all my issues with not fitting into gay culture. But even as a gay man, I sometimes feel like I don't identify with some parts of gay culture because partially because of the way that I was raised and the community that I was raised by. And and, and it's partially your fault, because if I didn't have you as a close friend um, in high school, I, I maybe would have, um, I would have worked really, really hard to, to build a community that I felt more comfortable around, but I felt very very comfortable around my straight friends to the point where I didn't need to, I I didn't desire to have this connection with gay culture um, because I had all these close friends that allowed me to be myself and I didn't feel like I was holding any part of myself back. So, you know, moving to Switzerland, I also didn't have that many gay friends. So I think that that has also impacted me um, and has left me with like, you know, some slight insecurities about how do I even relate with my own culture? um in some ways but um back to meeting blake yeah so yeah i met him on a bar um about a two weeks later um it was your wedding and um, i was coming to arizona and so he was living in la at the time and i was living in new york and i said you know why don't you come before this wedding um and we could spend a couple days together and um, that was our first date um was was actually in arizona the two days leading up to your wedding um, and he was with me as I was you getting ready even for tell your me wedding. He was there, which I totally would have opened up a chair for him. <laughs> it was your it was your wedding, you know. Like yeah. I, I, as I hope people will do for my wedding, don't fucking bother me for the for the week before my wedding. Don't even talk to me. Um, just sh- just make just let me know that you're gonna be there. Um, so yeah, we we've been together for three and a half years now. Um, and he moved to New York about three or four months after we we met. And um, we got a dog. Like you know, six months into dating, I proposed. About a year and a half into dating, and uh, we've been engaged for the last year and a half, and are getting married on this really cute island called Block Island, in the in the middle of the Atlantic. It's a you know hour ferry from Rhode Island or an hour and a half ferry from Montauk, um, kind of sitting in the middle of the ocean. Population of 900 people. Half of the island is completely um, nature preserved that you can never build on, and it's got this kind of blue collar fisherman's vibe. Um, that I really, really, really love, and it's something that's kind of off the beaten path, even for New Yorkers. Um, a lot of New Yorkers don't even know about it. So I, I, I really like the I'm idea so of bringing excited. people to a place, bringing people to a place that they've never been to and probably will never go to. You know, like we could have done our wedding in the Hamptons, and um, you know that's super fun, but it's not as unique and outside of the box and um, and, you know, I wanted to do something a little bit weird. My my motto of my company when we first launched it and, and still kind of like an unofficial motto is, is be weird. Yeah. Um, be yourself. Be authentic. That's, that's right. what people really resonate with. And I think that that's like an important thing to leave people with as, as we're, we're closing here today is like, you know, don't be afraid to be weird. Whether that weirdness in your community is like being an ally um, and standing up for what you believe to be right. Don't be afraid to be weird. If that you know means you dressing or acting a little bit different than the the society in which you've been raised or are currently living, like these, this weirdness is what makes you you and what makes you individual. And individuality is what makes you stand out. And standing out leads you to to getting new opportunities and growing within your career. So like, be weird. It's only gonna help you. I love it. It's a great message. I just have to say that.
0: You know we've known each other for almost 20 years, and I think Blake is this amazing compliment to you, energy-wise, love-wise. Uh, I've never seen you just so happy, and for lack of a better term, just stable in a relationship. It's, <laughs> it's, uh, he's fantastic. We love him. He's our kiddo's uncle, Blake. Obviously, your uncle, Elliot. So, um, yeah. So I want to close here to get you to your busy life. This was amazing. Uh, I'm really happy to continue my allyship, and thank you for kind of educating my myself as well as our listeners on what that actually means to
1: you a hundred percent there's so many so many different um resources for everyone out there you know just just google you'll, you'll be able to find everything that you need and there's some really incredible um charities that you can give to you know a big part of allyship that i didn't say here today and and, and i know we're up on time is that it's not just about saying something it's also about doing something and sometimes doing something is 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 you know can feel small but Giving money to the right organizations, not just speaking up on social media, not just reposting something and, and, and raising your hand or posting a black box on Instagram. But actually do something. Mm-hmm. Whether that's your time to go to a protest or it's donating to a charity that that's that's really the right charity and you you know, you've got to do a little research to make sure you're going to the right place. But don't just uh, don't just say do. I think that's an important part of allyship as well. Brandon, thank you so much for having me today. Love you, buddy. Love you too. Talk you to see you soon, Colornis I. All right, bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for tuning in to another can't miss episode of Just A Couple Dudes or Jacked Podcast. We're new on Twitter, so please give us a follow at, at J A K D Pod. On Instagram, you can follow us at J A K D underscore podcast, and we have a new YouTube channel set up at Just A Couple Dudes, and that's coupled with a K. We also have a website, J A K D P O D.com, with a new store set up where you can check out our merch and other fun items that we're going to be putting up. So please give us a follow, check out our website. And tune in for the next podcast that we'll be releasing shortly. Thanks.